Hello and welcome to this episode of Irreligiosity 2.0, the one true podcast. And the only podcast that says, fuck it, here's Mother Teresa. Fuck it. Yeah. Sure. Have it. Well, they're probably the only podcast that keeps promising to do a podcast but never really gets around to it. Or is that common in the podcast world? I don't know. I think that's how everybody does it. Yeah. What what you do is you you record your stuff, then you sit on it, then you wait for something timely to happen. Yeah. Like like I don't know. Like san- sanctification. Yeah. yeah. And then you wait a little longer because yeah. you don't want to look like a you know. Like you're opportunist. Exactly. I mean, come on. And <laughs> and really, does uh, Mother Teresa deserve a podcast? No. Really? You know. Seriously. Just forget. You know what? Forget it, Chuck. Just end it now. Fuck Mother well, Teresa. Let's, let's move it. Let's move on. You know, bef- um, before we get to Mother Teresa. Yeah. Maybe we should do some skunk dicks. I don't know. Yeah, let's do some dicks. Oh, I I, I didn't want to do this dick, but fuck it. Let's just do it. Because there's just, there's so many. Why is there so many Jesus people and pastors that like rape children? I, what? the fuck is it because they can't is it like mother Teresa? they can't have sex and then they one day they just go fuck it children yeah it's almost like the uh dog bites man headline right i mean you just it, it's not even news anymore yeah but um this is a, one this is an interesting <laughs> twist to the same old story right yeah ohio politician uh former mayor of uh hubbard ohio a mayor who has quote dedicated his life to jesus uh, now admits to raping a four-year-old child. Now that's that's not big news exactly. Cause... I almost start to think <laughs> that that's what it means by dedicating your life to Jesus. Right. I, I oh I can't I can't even make that joke. I've dedicated my life to Jesus. Eh, fill it in. Take yeah, it. Run ex- away with it. Exactly. You can just every time someone tells you they've dedicated their life to Jesus, you can just you know translate that in your head. Right. If someone says that to you, you should just first thing you should say is just like, okay, but don't rape. Just right. please. No raping. Right. For God's God. sakes. For God's sakes. I mean, dedicating your life to Jesus is one thing, but Yeah. Go forth you know and rape no more. Rape no more. I believe that's in the um, Bible, isn't it? Yeah, the twist here though is that uh he blames the girl. He blames the four year old girl for being a willing participant. She wanted it, of course. Yeah. Because or maybe it was the way she was dressed. Again, uh, you're perfectly capable of consenting at age four, like understanding. Oh yeah, my God, age four. I don't even have any memories from age four. Like, I have some hazy ones. My first memory is getting on a school bus. Uh, technically, I was four when I started kindergarten. Yeah, I, maybe uh, and I, like a month later, I turned five. Maybe watching Bugs Bunny. You know, I, I don't maybe. know. Um, maybe. Certainly, at age four, I understood. Uh, what sexual intercourse meant and how to consent to it. You know, I had a absolute yeah, oh yeah. 100% definition. At age four, I didn't understand what Bugs Bunny was doing when he dressed like a girl. Uh, yeah. I, I may, I didn't know. I may have thought, you know, that there was a little special lens they put over the camera to film animated cartoons. I you know, <laughs> no fucking idea. Well, one thing we all agree on is that Bugs Bunny was pretty hot. Yeah, that, Either way. especially the wily e. coyote uh, female Bugs Bunny. My God, my God, gorgeous. As as a four year old, yes. Yeah, um, he's uh, apparently this guy uh, checked himself into a psychiatric facility 
Uh, he told a social worker that he had started assaulting the child in September 2013, but that she had initiated the abuse, calling her a willing participant. So, yes, again, yeah. at age four. Well, here's the, here's the part that cheeses me off. So, under Ohio law, spouses can testify, apparently, if they wish, but a pastor would not be forced to testify. No, that relationship is too privileged. Yes, that whole goddamn, like... What do they call that? Attorney client privilege, except pastor, yeah. doctor. The, the clergy privilege. I don't know what it clergy, is. Why do clergy, if somebody admits child molestation or rape, isn't there some like, loophole for that? Yeah, and or the, exception? The or? counter argument you'll hear is well, then they'd never tell the priest in the first place you'd, you'd ruin that, you know, and I'd say, so what? Yeah, right. The fuck what? We're in the same position that we are as it is now. Uh, yeah, what's the other option? He gets to get it off his chest and then he feels better? He gets 30 Hail Marys or some shit? <laughs> yeah, like, exactly. I, I don't fucking care. There should be no priest privilege. What, what are they specialists in? They, they grant them any privilege whatsoever. Why is that? <sighs> if we're going to give them tax-exempt status, do something for society. Do something. <laughs> right. The least we can do is expect them not to rape innocent children. Right. But, you know. And the... Yeah, and the second thing we expect priests to do is at least testify help, when help people admit prosecute to when someone admits to raping. I mean, what is it about religion and child molestation? No, I can't do it. Okay, done. All right, uh, uh, he's he, going to stand trial. Yeah, fuck this guy. He's my vote for skunk dick of the week. What do you think? <laughs> he wins. Uh, but all right, let's put it in the machine. See who wins. All right. <laughs> What do you got? Glenn Beck? Was it Beck? Was it Glenn Beck? It's Glenn Beck. No, no. It's, uh, who's this guy? Ammon Bundy? Ammon Bundy. Ammon. Oh, it's an Egyptian named Mormon guy. But, yeah. (laughs) (laughs) But we gotta uh, extend that to Ryan Bundy, too, because they're both pretty awesome. Who's Ryan Bundy? Ryan, oh, is his brother. Ryan That's Bundy's right. his brother that, I don't know, got ran over by a chariot or something like that, and his face is all kind of messed up. Ryan doesn't sound appropriately Bundy-named. It's not Mormon Cliven, enough. Ammon. Yeah. And then Ryan? Like the 10,000 stripling warriors of Ryan? No. 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 It needs to I be. I am Ryan. Bow <laughs> before. See? No, I never do it. <laughs> it needs to be like Moroni Ha or something like that. Right. <laughs> Ammon Bundy. Now, if you don't remember this story, he's, he's one of the seven people on trial uh, for the armed occupation of an Oregon wildlife refuge. Uh, we all remember those days, right? Um, so he, he comes back to court and he wears his prison overalls or coveralls, whatever they call those things. Are they stripey? Are they stripey things or are they just like an orange jumpsuit? Like the, <laughs> like the old brother where art thou? They just like yeah, pull yeah. off the chain gang in the court. Isn't that what that Arizona sheriff still does? He makes them wear stripy yeah, jumpsuits. I think so, and break rocks or some shit. Yeah, yeah. Uh, that that wasn't just a fashion choice, Chuck. That was a form of protest. The uh, overalls, the coveralls. Oh, I the, believe they're known the, as the coveralls. I guess. Yeah. <laughs> yes, because he's being held as a political prisoner. <laughs> he's not just your average lawbreaker. <laughs> Uh, yeah, well, you know, he's like part of this sovereign, the citizen movement. Oh, Jesus. Uh, so there is a, um, Jesus Christ, like a 26-page 
document uh, filed by Ryan Bundy, who um, not the smartest uh, tool in the shed. I think that's what that metaphor, isn't it? Yeah, um, it. that works. <laughs> he's he is uh, representing himself. <laughs> oh. you know, it requires a certain IQ to. <laughs> I, I love it when people represent themselves. Uh, so he's complaining. Ryan Bundy's complaining. <laughs> That uh, he was uh, taken against his express consent, approximately, and of course that's spelled wrong because it's more than one syllable, 282 miles from the locus delicti, or location, of the alleged crime scene. So um, he's angry, that, and he objects to the trial in a non-judicial administrative proceeding by all appointed non-elected officers, and most specifically the complainant Catherine Armstrong, judge, magistrate, and prosecutor, <laughs> with a direct conflict and interest in violating the separation of powers doctrine. That's on page two of his complaint. Matt, on page nice. three, he uh, <laughs> refers to the Magna Carta. <laughs> no! <laughs> oh, my God. Uh... Yeah, so in the Magna Carta, Section 24, no sheriff, constable, coroners, or other of our bailiffs shall hold pleas of our crown. So I, I think it should be thrown out of court based on that citation of the Magna Carta by yeah. itself. That's That works. But he also, well done, he also complains that uh, unknown persons kidnapped him and what? drove him against his will 282 miles away from uh, where he, you know... Uh, originally was and <laughs> unknown persons, aka the police. <laughs> That's what happens when you get arrested, uh, Mr. Bundy. <laughs> it's called being arrested. <laughs> I don't know. It's just people showed up out of nowhere, fucking kidnapped me, These... dragged me off. They put me in some sort of room with bars. <laughs> Wouldn't let me go. Handcuffs on me. I was kidnapped. Uh, these sovereign citizens believe that, uh, you know, um, this sort of your your name on the birth certificate is some sort of legal fiction or something like that, representing a corporation or something. And you're a different entity from the, the corporation. And so all you have to do is say shit like, I do not consent. And you can't you can't get ticketed for speeding or anything. Like that. Oh, I love that. <laughs> oh, these guys make lots of YouTube videos. Yeah, if you Google uh, like sovereign citizen fail or something on and you do, there's a bunch of, like, half of them end up in, like, them getting the shit kicked out of them and forcibly arrested. Uh, it's uh, amazing how that doesn't work in the real world, you know, all their sovereign citizens. They think they're not uh, subject to the, because they don't recognize any federal jurisdiction. This is the whole thing with Clive and Bundy, right, where he didn't, it didn't pay any taxes. He didn't recognize any federal yeah. authority. And that worked out pretty well for them. Yeah, right. Yeah. He was he wasn't arrested until he flew down to support his sons. Uh, yeah. Whoops. Yeah. <laughs> they they think they have all these little things that they can say, you know, like oh that person isn't me or I I do not consent to this or I object and and they'll just get out. So so congratulations both Ammon and, and Ryan Bundy for being total fucking shit heels that that we always knew you were. Yeah. It's nice to know that some things never change. Congratulations on your skunk dick award. Well, uh, we'll make a patch for them. They can stick it on their coveralls. <laughs> they, <laughs> I, I doubt they'd do that. I'm I, still making the patch, though. He's being held as a political prisoner. It's amazing. Absolutely amazing. Oh, man. 
Well, Chuck, uh, should we finally, should we finally get to it? No. Should we talk we about we Mother Teresa? We should do a, another Matt's Anthropological Corner. Oh, that's right. It's time for a Matt's Anthropological Corner. What do you got this time? Um, I got nothing. That didn't prepare. I'm going to say, it, it better be good and long, because I don't want to have to talk about Mother Teresa this episode. <laughs> oh, we're not going to talk about Mother Teresa. We're just going to spend 45 more minutes just sitting here going, you know, fuck shit. I, seriously. How about a mass anthropological corner on uh, penises? Oh, yeah, let's do that. Let's, let's, you know what? We do have Mother Teresa, but let's speculate upon anthropological corners uh one on penises penises through history yeah penises in art what would it take for the catholic church to beatify my penis Mm. two documented miracles or is it just one one huge donation (laughs) i think would do it (laughs) when you say donation I'm not <laughs> right on the front steps. Just <laughs> the Vatican. Is there front steps of the Vatican? I don't know. Uh, there's there's got to be steps somewhere there. Hey, fun fact. I've been to the Vatican. Yeah. Yeah. It's nice. Uh, you know, it's a pretty freaking sweet castle city thing they got going on there. I wouldn't mind my own little country inside a country. Did you take a humongous dump on the steps of the Vatican when you were there? <laughs> I am not one of those people that can just spontaneously dump, like oh. just drop their pants and dump. Gotcha. I need a I need a safe space. I need like I need walls. <laughs> I, need I need I need sound, you know, like a fan or some white noise, you know? You want I special need, privileges, special uh, rights? Yes. What a Matter bastard. Fact, Fuck Target. Remember Target? Where's my fans? I need fans in my bathroom. What a bastard. Um, you know what, Chuck? I Let's just give it to him. Yeah, you know, should we give in this one time? I actually do a podcast about Mother Teresa that's labeled yeah. Mother Teresa. Yeah. It seems to go against my uh, <laughs> better instincts. Everything. Everything I believe. I'm having like a God's not dead moment here. I can't do it. No. <laughs> Violates my freedom of religion to do that. I can't let him have it. Oh, we didn't even do one, actually. So You know, there's there's not one. Try to find one. Yeah. Prove it exists. Yeah. You can't do that. Exactly. No one knows how that works. No one knows how podcast works. Yeah. Oh, fuck it. God damn it. All right, fine. Here it is. Matt, I wanted to talk a little bit before we jump into this about the process of sanctification, making, is that what it's called or is it sanctification? The making of saints. The making of a saint is Saintolosis. Saintology? No, no, Saintolosis. Oh, Saintolosis. Yeah, Saintolosis. Saintologists. Scientology. What is that? Scientology. The science of uh, saint formation. Oh, Scientology. Sign- Chuck, I got an idea for a scam. Science and religion. Thank God, that sounds perfect. One. Perfect. So apparently, Matt, and I've done, uh, I can, cannot tell you how many hours of research I've done on this topic. 
uh, it requires, first you have to go through beatification, which is you document. So after the, um, that's like a makeover, right? It's like, a yeah. After the suspected possible saint candidate kicks the bucket. So post-mortem. Right. Someone has to come up with some sort of miracle that they performed. And this miracle has to be documented by the Catholic Church. Documentation. And, you know, proof. like Pope John Paul, like, beatified and fucking sanctified uh, more people than, like, the fucking five previous popes combined. He was just this uh, saint machine. So apparently miracles are happening every fucking day everywhere around us at all times. Oh, yeah. Documented miracles. Shit's always going on. Especially now phones have cameras. They're documenting everything. Right and left. Uh, (laughs) Do you know that um, Christopher Hitchens, when they first beatified Mother Teresa, um, so they got rid of, there's a little section about Mother Teresa in uh, God is Not Great, right? Um, Oh, yeah. he, He talks about how they got rid of the office of devil's advocate. They used to have like a, a person who argued against the sanctifying of these people, but right. they they still reach out to critics of the proposed saint, and so they reached out to Christopher Hitchens, and he performed that duty apparently for Mother Teresa. Really? Um, yeah, um, that is awesome. Couldn't he have just mailed in his book, missionary position? Right here you go. <laughs> and so after that, after that's been documented, uh, and I, apparently what they do is they're like. Hey, dudes, is there a natural explanation for this proposed miracle? And they go, no, dude, I can't think of anything. And okay, bam, it must be miraculous, must be supernatural. If there's no natural explanation, it must be supernatural. So if they can't figure it out, they just mark it down as miraculous. Yeah. So um, by that criteria, uh, magnets were miraculous all the way up until like, the 19th century. Right. The tides. Yeah. <laughs> no one knows how those work. Magic. <laughs> Miracles. God. Oh, he had such a heart. There there was such a heart on the saint. They couldn't wait for her to die oh, just yeah. so they could save her. Save yeah. Her. Sanctify the, her. Sanctify? The first, the first miracle was like some lady who was miraculously healed of her uh, tuberculosis or some oh. shit like that or some cancer yeah. or something. Um, like her husband. Brain tumor. Her husband came on. He's like, no, nah, she was treated by doctors. It was a medicine. And the doctor came. He's like, no, no, we treated her. It was, you know, perfectly in keeping with normal medical principles. And I think at one point, even the patient herself was like, oh, yeah, I was treated. And it was no, no problem. Um, I think she has since changed her mind and, and now said it's a miracle. But uh, that, that is the rigorous scientific uh, study that they do to document these miracles. Right. So I don't know what her second miracle was, but of course, right, you know, she's of course going to have some second miracle document. And so now she's a saint. Now people can pray to Mother Teresa to, uh, what do you call it, um, intercede on their behalf with Jesus yeah. and God. So the Catholic religion isn't pagan at all, right? They don't have any demigods or demiurges or multiple deities. No. Just one God. Monotheism. But go ahead. Oh, and- like Akhenaten. Yeah, go ahead and pray to Mother Teresa. That's okay, too. Wait, should we be praying to people that aren't God? Isn't that some sort of idolatry? No, Matt. I warned about that. Absolutely not. For lots of good reasons. Like, <laughs> lots of them. 
lot <laughs> and lot. Trust me, many good reasons. Man, oh, I went, oh, I found her second miracle. Oh, uh, what's her second miracle? Uh, the inexplicable yep. recovery yep. of a Brazilian man who suddenly woke from a coma uh-huh. that was caused by a viral brain infection. Okay, yeah, that never happens. No. That must be a miracle. And he fully recovered following his wife's prayers and has since returned to work. I've, it should be noted that he was also in the hospital the entire time. I'm sure that they did nothing, though. Yeah. So doctors, you just say that, like, he's in a coma, he'll never wake, and then they wake up. Doctors said he'd never wake. And yet. Yeah. yeah. My uh, uncle had a similar problem, and uh, my family, I remember, did a whole prayer circle, and they were told, I think there's like a one in ten chance or blah, blah, blah. But they prayed and prayed and prayed and fasted and prayed some more, and uh, he recovered. So, therefore... Mormonism is true, because they were praying to the Mormon God. Wait, wait, wait. They fasted? Yep. Well, maybe Islam's true. Maybe it was Ramadan. <laughs> was this during Ramadan? It was Chuck, probably did you know during one of the, Oh, my holy shit. One of the pillars of Ramadan Secretly Islam. Muslim. <laughs> Mormons are all secret Muslims. It's, uh, it's a little known secret. I think God's like, well, praying, that doesn't take much effort. But fasting, oh. I'm impressed by that. I think I might listen to these guys. Right. Now, that's effort. That You've did. done something. That takes Made some a sacrifice. Oh. Now, I do want to preface all of what we're going to say with this quote from Mother Teresa, because my main complaint with her is that she uh, promotes suffering, as we'll get into. Yeah. Um, she doesn't really care about the people she's she's taking care of, because their suffering serves a purpose, Right. So uh, at a press conference in 1981, when Mother Teresa intended to found a charity in Washington, uh, she was she was uh, interviewed. So uh, this guy asked a question, Mother Teresa, what do you hope to accomplish here? Uh, the joy of loving and being loved. Oh, my God. These people. <laughs> yeah. <laughs> what the fuck? That's what you hope to accomplish, the joy of loving and being loved. And then the, the follow-up question, Matt, is that takes a lot of money, doesn't it? <laughs> what the fuck? <laughs> What is wrong with you? Press? What the fuck is wrong with you? Yeah, the joy of loving and being loved. My God, that's an expensive proposition. <sighs> that takes uh, a lot apparently. of money. <laughs> takes a lot of money, doesn't it? Oh, it takes a lot of sacrifice. And so uh, he said, do you, the follow-up to that is, do you teach the poor to endure their lot? I think it is very beautiful for the poor to accept their lot, to share it with the passion of Christ. I think the world is being much helped by the suffering of the poor people. Oh, yeah, yeah. I yeah. get help from them all the time. Yeah. They make my clothing, I think. Yeah, fuck those poor people. <laughs> uh, in the, all these human tragedies, God is trying to teach us something. This, the poor people suffer so that the uh, better well-off uh, can be happy, I guess? I don't know. Well, how is the world being helped by the suffering of poor people? That's what I want to know. Uh, no, I just cheap shoes, I think. But you can see, <laughs> as we go through these examples... How this uh, love of suffering exhibits itself over and over and over again through her decades. She should be the patron saint of not alleviating suffering because suffering's a good thing. So if you want to suffer shit, uh, pray to Mother Teresa. Uh, you know, I read uh, Chris Hitchens book, Missionary Position. Um, it's pretty short, Matt. You can uh, you read it in like two hours. <laughs> yeah. I highly. I'm still, I'm still working on it. Highly recommend it. It's um, it's classic Hitchens. He's uh, got a bunch of observations. Like he actually visited Mother Teresa 
um, who, by the way, he calls a thieving, fanatical Albanian dwarf. <laughs> I knew she was from Albania. Uh, in a, so he visited her in a Calcutta orphanage, and he was about to give her a donation, right, when she uh, said to him, See? This is how we fight abortion and contraception. <laughs> so <laughs> that's wait. She said that to Hitchin. To which Hitchin observed, "It is difficult to spend any time at all in Calcutta and conclude that what it most needs is a campaign against population control." Yeah, that's like, hey, let's not bring toilets here. <laughs> this would be a terrible place for, I don't know, yeah, sanitation. Right, exactly. This is how we combat sanitation. Oh, God. Uh, her real name is Agnes Bojaxiu. I don't know. I probably slaughtered that, but, you know. Uh, I thought her real name was Dranophile Bojaxiu. I'm going to have to apologize to all of our uh, Albanian listeners. I know. Sorry, Albanian listener. <laughs> <laughs> I bet we have one. She was born on uh, 27th of August, 1910, Matt. 1910! 1910? Is, is she dead yet? She, oh yeah, better. she's dead. You have to be dead to oh. be a saint anyway. Oh, that's right. Uh, her father was a shopkeeper. Uh, he died when she was eight years old. She decided to enter the missionary work uh, at, at age 12, uh, and she became a nun at age 18. Is there a minimum age for a nun? Like, Christ isn't a pedophile, right? You have to be at least 18 yeah. to be a nun. You should probably be. I bet you could be 14, though. <laughs> I bet they wouldn't mind. Um, and then she went to India sometime after Christmas in, in 1928. Uh, she actually, she had been doing this for decades before there was a document. So she became kind of famous with a documentary by Malcolm Muggeridge in 1969 called Something Beautiful for God. And he wrote a book in 1971, I think, the same, same title. Uh, he argued in both of them uh, that he had, during this documentary, he possessed the first documented photographic evidence of a miracle. What? Photographic evidence of a miracle? I wonder if this is, counts as one of the miracles that you need to become a saint in the Catholic Church. So uh, here's the, this is, this is actually interesting. So I'm going to quote from Muggeridge. This home for the dying is dimly lit by small windows high up in the walls. And Ken, uh, Ken's the photographer, he's a cameraman. Ken, Ken Burns? No, no Ken McMillan. Oh. Ken was adamant that filming was quite impossible there. We had only one small light with us, and to get the place adequately lighted in the time at our disposal was quite impossible. Oh, so it's, it's two, no. it's two quite impossibles. It's yes. like doubly quite impossible. Yes. Doubly so. It was decided that nonetheless, even though it was quite impossible, uh, Ken should have a go. But by way of insurance, he took as well some film in an outside courtyard where some of the inmates were sitting in the sun. In the processed film, the part taken inside was bathed in a particularly beautiful soft light, whereas the part taken outside was rather dim and confused. I myself am absolutely convinced that the technically unaccountable light is, in fact, the kindly light uh, Cardinal Newman refers to in his well-known exquisite hymn. What? So, Are you telling me that a photographic plate absorbed the kindly light mm -hmm. of Jesus? Yes. But it wasn't visible to the eyes? The holy light. Well, it was inexplicably... You remember how it was quite impossible? 
right. to, to get the light. So inexplicably, the uh, it was better lit, right, in a particularly beautiful soft light than the crappy outdoor shit that he also filmed. What if, what if you just use the faster film or longer exposure? <laughs> well, Matt, uh, we have the cameraman's. We have the cameraman's account. Oh, okay. And uh, it's a little different. During Something Beautiful for God, there was an episode where we were taken to a building that Mother Teresa called the House of the Dying. Peter Chafer, the director, said, ah, well, it's very dark in here. Do you think we can get something? And we had just taken... Sorry, but that's the last house I'd like to go to. (laughs) What if you were dying? Exactly. That's not where I want to go. Can I go to the house of the getting better? That, as we'll find out, probably came back. Is not at all what Mother Teresa is about. <laughs> there is no house of getting better. There's a like house of fucking suffering like shit. But and we had uh, just over taken the house of diarrhea. We had no, just taken <laughs> delivery at the BBC of some new film made by Kodak, which we hadn't had time to test before we left. So I said to Peter, "Well, we may as well have a go." So we shot it, and when we came back several weeks later, a month or two later. We were sitting in the Russia's theater at Ealing Studios, and eventually came the shots of the House of the Dying. And it was surprising. You could see every detail. And I said, that's amazing. That's extraordinary. And I was going to go on to say, you know, three cheers for Kodak. I didn't get a chance to say that, though, because Malcolm, sitting in the front row, spun around and said, it's divine light. It's Mother Teresa. You'll find that it's divine light, old boy. Oh, it was the ISO 1800. (laughs) Don't really fucking talk like that. I thought that was just like 1950s, just to make fun of uh, Englishmen. Chuck, people still talk like that today. Look, old boy, just get on with the story. <laughs> and three or four days later, I found I was being phoned by journalists from London newspapers who were saying things like, we hear you've just come back from India with Malcolm Muggeridge and you were the witness of a miracle. So there you have it, Matt. That uh, ah. technically unaccountable divine light. That's a loaded question they asked when they came back. That's assuming the premise. <laughs> Sorry, well, I've been practicing name that fallacy. <laughs> what I want to know, and uh, man, this is similar to the spread of early Christianity. How yeah. could news of this miracle spread if Ken McMillan was there to refute it? I don't understand. Telegraph. If everywhere people were telling stories about divine light and Ken McMillan was there to refute it, how could this ever spread? He was a jerk. That's what. <laughs> no one believed him. Uh, like, not that Macmillan, fella. Matt, in 1979, when Mother Teresa won the Nobel Peace Prize, for which I still have no idea why, why was she given the Nobel Peace Prize? Well, she was very peaceful. She led people <laughs> off to very peaceful ends. <laughs> Lots of inner peace. Uh, she gave a nice little speech. I was amazed when I learned that in the West, so many young people are on drugs. I tried to understand the reason for this. Can you imagine Mother Teresa sitting around? Why are the so many young people in the West on drugs? Try some. Then you'll, you'll find out. Why? The answer is because in the family there's nobody who cares about them. Fathers and mothers are oh. so busy they have no time. Young parents at work and the child lives in the street and goes his own way. We speak of peace. These are the things that threaten peace. I think that today peace is threatened by abortion too which is a true war, the direct killing of a child by its own mother. Well, not really. What? The mother doesn't Okay, first, that's not why kids are on drugs. (laughs) Maybe some, but no, that's not why we do drugs. It's because they're awesome sometimes. I mean, until, you know, they kill you. But, you know, before that point, 
Yeah. In the Bible, we read that God clearly said, even though a mother did forget her infant, I will not forget him. Today, abortion is the worst evil and the greatest enemy of peace. We who are here today were wanted by our parents. We would not be here if our parents had not wanted us. We want children and we love them. But what about the other millions? Many are concerned about the children, like those in Africa, who die in great numbers either from hunger or for other reasons. But millions of children die intentionally by the will of their mothers. Because if a mother can kill her own child, what will prevent us from killing ourselves or one another? Nothing. Nothing. Name that fallacy. Well, you got uh, pick it, pick it, pick a fallacy. No true Scotsman. <laughs> no, no true Scotsman. That's <laughs> the, the only fallacy slope. that she didn't commit. The slippery slope. Slippery, definitely slippery slope. <laughs> oh my god. Oh my god. I love uh, how she starts. Me one day at work when uh, when I was still a first officer and the captain came in and out of nowhere he said he said do you know what the biggest killer of a in America is today. And I was like, uh, ladders, you know, like, <laughs> you know whatever. <laughs> he said, 40 million children died last year from it. I was like, holy shit. What is this? Some new disease I haven't heard about or chicken pox making a comeback. Right? No, it was the abortion, Chuck, the abortion. Where did they get their stats for this? I don't know. That's I guess f- there was 40, 40- 40 million abortions last year. Does that mean that like one out of three women got an abortion last year in the I United guess States? So I know I love when people say shit. You're like, you're like, I'm gonna have to check on those numbers before I comment. <laughs> Hold on. I love how she she goes on a rant about drugs for like two sentences and then the rest of it's abortion. Like they, what the fuck? Right. Just it's weird. It's like you're like, why are so many kids on drugs? Abortion. <laughs> <laughs> Wouldn't it be better? This is a weird these, segue, you know, for these kids <laughs> who had uh, mothers and fathers who didn't want them around, if they maybe weren't around. Yeah. Hey, you know what prevents abortions? Condoms. <laughs> Condoms. Mother Condoms Teresa. are abortions, Matt. Oh, that's right. The, even the potential. Yeah. Even the. No the potential of a child is a child. No fucking limit on birth control. And uh, Hitchens points over and over again that she never draws that connection between all of this shit and suffering that, that she's been trying to ameliorate over the you know, 50, 60 years that she's been in Calcutta as anything to do with perhaps a lack of any sort of sensible... I mean, she's she's pushing for zero population control and then she's surrounded by misery of people who are essentially the uh, outgrowth of that. Well, she's got a solution, though. It's adoption. See? <laughs> yeah, right. Easy. Yeah, right. Except she she uh, refuses to allow anyone to adopt one of her children if they've ever had an abortion. Oh, really? Oh. Wow. Yeah. In 92, she gave a speech in an open-air mass in Ireland where she stated, Let us promise Our Lady who loves Ireland so much that we will never allow in this country a single abortion. And no contraceptives. <laughs> None. And no contraceptives. Oh, God. Also, you know, apart from the huge fuck you to all the Protestants in Ireland who don't share Mother Teresa's views on contraceptives, right? Let's pledge that no one in this fucking country, no matter what they believe, ever uses a condom. Right. 
um, uh, Emily Lewis was a nurse who, um, unlike Mother Teresa, Mother Teresa seemed to just watch people suffering. She didn't do a whole lot to alleviate it. She, uh, Emily Lewis worked as a nurse in many poor and underserved areas in the world. She had this to say about Mother Teresa. Uh, My own experience of Mother Teresa occurred when she was being honored at the 1989 luncheon meeting of the International Health Organization in Washington, D.C. During her acceptance speech, she spoke at length of her opposition to contraception and her activities to save the unwanted products of heterosexual activity. Uh, She also touched on AIDS, saying she did not want to label it a scourge of God, uh, but it did seem like a just retribution for improper sexual conduct. (laughs) I don't want to say God did it, but it kind of has his style, you know? Well, yeah, it seems to make sense to me. Uh, Although she said that God could find it in his heart to forgive all sinners, she herself would never allow a woman or a couple who had had an abortion to adopt one of her babies. So again, reason number 792 why uh, religion should not go anywhere near adoption centers. Fuck yeah. you. You think she was, was she absolute on that? What if it was a medically necessary abortion? She would never allow a woman there's, to adopt. She'd be like, there's no such thing. Yeah. No such thing exists. Uh, Dr. Robin Fox visited Mother Teresa's charities in 1994. Dr. Teresa, Robin Fox? Yeah. Come he, on. You're making this shit up, aren't you? Dr. Fox was, at the time, the editor of The Lancet, right? Very prestigious medical journal. Oh, that is it, yeah. So Mother Teresa had been in Calcutta for over 40 years at this time. And according to some former volunteers, uh, Dr. Fox visited on a particularly good day, (laughs) or maybe a day where the patients were unusually well looked after. Same thing happened, I think, uh, when Hillary Clinton visited in the 90s. They heard she was coming. They were aware that she was coming. And so they took the cloth diapers uh, out of the kids and and redressed them in like American pampers and and these cute little floral prints just for the day. Right. They looked like they weren't. Oh, everything looks great here. Human excrement. And God. Uh, Anyway, um, Fox had this to say. There are doctors who call in from time to time, but usually the sisters and volunteers, some of whom have medical knowledge, make decisions as best they can. Uh, I saw a young man who had been admitted in poor shape with high fever, and the drugs prescribed had been tetracycline and paracetamol. So that's Tylenol, basically, and an antibiotic. Uh, Later, a visiting doctor diagnosed probable malaria and substituted chloroquine. Could not someone have looked at a blood film? Uh, Investigations, I was told, are seldom permissible. How about simple algorithms that might help the sisters and volunteers distinguish the curable from the incurable? Again, no. Such systematic approaches are alien to the ethos of the home. Mother Teresa prefers providence to planning. Her rules are designed to prevent any drift toward materialism. The sisters must remain on equal terms with the poor. Finally, how competent are the sisters at managing pain? On a short visit, I could not judge the power of their spiritual approach, but I was disturbed to learn that the formulary includes no strong analgesics. Along with the neglect of diagnosis, the lack of good analgesia marks Mother Teresa's approach as clearly separate from the hospice movement. I know which I prefer. Yes. So... And analgesics, just to be clear, is just a fancy word for painkiller, right? Yeah, the pain reliever. So basically he's saying that you've got Tylenol, but you got nothing stronger than Tylenol. So if people come to the house of the dying, dying of cancer, racked in, in horrendous pain, they get Tylenol. Oh, that's not going to do much. There's no narcotics. There's no, you know, IV or, or intramuscular pain relievers. These people just die in excruciating pain. So the, the hospice movement where you refer patients who 
they've, they've sort of changed the thinking to there's nothing more medically we could do, or the patient prefers not to do anything more medically. And then they just, uh, focus on the comfort of the, of the patient and relieving the patient's pain for the final months of, of their life. Mother Teresa, nope, nope, here's a nope. Tylenol. So, um, Mary Loudon was a, uh, was a former volunteer. Um, she had a few words to say about the same home for the dying that Fox visited. My initial impression was of all the photographs and footage I've ever seen of Belson in places like that, uh, because all of the patients had shaved heads. No chairs anywhere. They were just these stretcher beds. They're like First World War stretcher beds. There's no garden, no yard even, no nothing. And I thought, what is this? This is two rooms with 50 to 60 men in one, 50 to 60 women in another. They're dying. They're not being given a great deal of medical care. They're not being given painkillers beyond really aspirin. And maybe if you're lucky, some ibuprofen or something. Uh, but for the sort of pain that goes on with terminal cancer and the things that were, they were dying of, they didn't have enough drips. The uh, needles they used and reused over and over and over, and you would see some of the nuns rinsing needles under the cold water tap. And I asked oh, one of them why, why she was doing it, and she said, well, to clean it. And I said, yes, but why are you not sterilizing it? Why are you not boiling water and sterilizing your needles? She said, there's no point. There's no time. The first day I was there, when I'd finished working in the women's yard, I went and waited on the edge of the men's ward for my boyfriend who was looking after a boy of 15 who was dying. And an American doctor told me that she had been trying to treat this boy and that uh, he had a really uh, simple kidney complaint and that it had simply gotten worse and worse and worse because he hadn't had antibiotics. And he actually needed an operation. I don't recall what the problem was, but she did tell me. And she was so angry, but also very resigned, which so many people become in that situation. And she said, well, they won't take him to the hospital. And I said, why? All you have to do is get a cab take him to the nearest hospital, demand they use treatment, get him an operation. She said, they don't do it. They won't do it. If they do it for one, they do it for everybody. Oh, yeah, well, you don't want that. Yeah. yeah. Now, keep in mind, what, what we haven't got to yet is that uh, people are donating, because she's so famous, people are donating millions and millions and millions of, of dollars, right? Where right. the shit is this money going? Ibuprofen, yeah, going? aspirin, Tylenol, the cheapest uh, drugs you can get right? They're reusing needles. God, they're reusing needles after cleaning them uh, uh, under cold running tap water. And these guys are, are stuffed 50 to 60 in, into a single room. Um, this isn't treatment. I mean, can you imagine any private clinic not being sued the shit out of for this? Right. The, the only reason this is allowed is because it's a religious fucking clinic. And what? This is in Calcutta, right? Yes. The bare truth of it all is they had money to do it for everybody. If Mother Teresa had wanted to, she could have taken, uh, we'll get to it later, one checking account. One checking account had $50 million in it. One checking account. $50 million. Can you imagine the uh, hospital that you could build with $50 million in Calcutta, India? If yeah, she wanted to, nice. she could alleviate every single one of these people suffering. I'm starting to think she didn't want to. Here's the worst part about it, Matt, is that unlike uh, Mother Teresa's victims, who she praises for suffering and she allows them to die in squalid conditions with shitty medical care and without pain relief, Mother Teresa herself visited some of the finest clinics and hospitals in the world when she had uh, heart problems. Really? Yeah. Why didn't she just go grab a filthy cot in her clinic yeah. and accept her pain and suffering? As, because as that's God's good will. for you somehow. 
It's God's will. Yeah. yeah. We also have the testimony of Susan Shields, who uh, worked in Mother Teresa's order for almost 10 years. Uh, among other stories, she tells of uh, Mother Teresa being very displeased by the act of canning tomatoes for the winter because the nuns were supposed to rely on God's providence. So, <laughs> Oh, my God. Doesn't she know the story of the guy trapped on the roof by a flood? <laughs> <laughs> but it's trumped by Jesus' words, you know, look at the lilies in the field and the birds, right? They don't have a care for tomorrow. So if God takes care of them, won't he take care of you too? Oh, but yeah, but see, they're just going to die if salvation get to heaven. <laughs> and God's going to be like, I sent you canning technology <laughs> and tomatoes. Uh, Matt, a three-story house was gifted to the order. And the sisters went around getting rid of anything that might give them any sort of comfort. They threw away sofas, mattresses, curtains, and they even pulled up carpeting. And they all yeah, rolled it up, put it out the street. Oh my God! They're, they're what's the word for that? There's a word for people who desire not not just like a plain like an is it an esthete? Uh, yeah, es- ascetic. Ascetic. It's like that's like more though. That's just like not only can it that have to be plain, it, it should be uncomfortable. Yeah, here's it's like the, the hair shirt. Yeah, the people slept in beds crowded together, right? Uh, and the heat was kept off all winter. Because they take they all take a vow of poverty, I guess, and they can't fucking pay for heat. And uh, she says that several uh, sisters got TB during the time I lived there. And the only way you get TB really is to spend long periods of time with other people who have TB in, in essentially squalid conditions. And so some of the uh, nuns, because of Mother Teresa and her vow of poverty and anti-materialism and doesn't want to spend a fucking dime, ended right. up with tuberculosis. So uh, another story popped up in the New York Times, which is very pro-Mother Teresa. Uh, Mother Teresa wanted to found an order in New York, uh, but the city regulations required an elevator for the handicapped. So, I mean, that's a terrible thing, right? Oh, well, no, then we're not going to. The handicapped have to pull themselves, I guess, bodily upstairs. So the order could not accommodate this, and uh, plans for the, the foundation of this order had to be scrapped. And uh, you, you can see the <laughs> headlines, right? The headlines were political correctness and bureaucracy destroy a charity. Yes. Polit- oh, like damn political correctness again. But here's the truth. Uh, in the Bronx, plans were being made to establish a new home for the poor. Many of the homeless uh, were sick and needed more permanent accommodation than that offered by our night shelter. We had bought a large abandoned building from the city for $1. This is, I think, Susan Shields still. Uh, a co-worker offered to uh, be the contractor and arrange for an architect to drop plans for the renovations. Government regulations required that an elevator be installed for the use of the disabled. Mother would not allow an elevator because I guess it's, uh, you know, she wants the, all the sisters to walk up the fucking stairs. Right. Uh, the city offered to pay for the elevator. Its offer was refused. No. So after, That's not the point, Mr. City. After all the negotiation and plans, <laughs> the project for the poor was abandoned because an elevator for the handicapped was unacceptable. You just oh, cannot. Yeah. You can't accommodate these. Oh, we'd love to build you your new house of the poor free hospital, but yeah. uh, political correctness and those yes. damn liberals, I'm sure. Goddamn bureaucratic liberal, bleeding heart liberals. And for God's sakes, Matt, it is uh, God's will these people are disabled and in wheelchairs in the first place. Right. Why accommodate them? Right. Some other trees. Is- I love. I love how, like, like this kind of thinking can translate into the future of whatever inventions we come up with. If we invent tall buildings, that's fine. 
until we invent elevators. And then it's like, no. Right. Like, I wonder what she'd do with an iPhone. Like, no, this is too indulgent. I will have a rotary iPhone or no <laughs> iPhone at all. Uh, yeah. They, you know, Mother Teresa's order projected an appearance of poverty. That was that was part of the scam, right? They look oh, yeah. real poor. And so uh, when people came in, they go, holy shit, I got to I gotta uh, put my money into this and I can alleviate some of these conditions. But very little money seemed to make its way to either the sisters or to even alleviate uh, the poor, right? That Mother Teresa is supposedly trying to help. So how much money did the order have? Uh, Susan Shields helps out here, too. The flood of donations was considered to be a sign of God's approval to Mother Teresa's congregation. We were told that we received more gifts than other religious congregations because God was pleased with Mother and because the missionaries of charity were the sisters who were faithful to the true spirit of religious life. Our bank account was already the size of a great fortune and increased with every postal service delivery. Around $50 million had collected in one checking account in the Bronx. Those of us who worked in the office regularly understood that we were not to speak about our work. The donations rolled in and were deposited at the bank, but they had no effect on our ascetic lives or on the lives of the poor we were trying to help. Fifty fucking yeah. million dollars in a single checking account, man. That seems I, like it might barely cover an elevator for disabled people. Uh, no, 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 no. That's, that's a little too fancy, Chuck. God does not show his approval with fancy elevators and clean needles. No, he's no that money's with money. That money's got to go to make a new fucking hat for the Pope, right? I mean, those are not cheap right. hats. Oh, yeah, isn't <sighs> she's a Catholic nun, a member of like one of the richest religions in the world, who's literally head of their religion sits on a throne of gold, right, somewhere, yeah, in a castle. Uh, but no goddamn elevator for handicapped people. And no, that's too don't much. take this 15-year-old with an easily treated problem to the hospital, because by God, we'd have to do that for everyone that we're trying to take care of. And heaven knows, we don't want that to happen. No! God, it's the house of the dying. Would you? <laughs> that's the whole point! <laughs> Die, fuckers! Oh, Matt, some of this money came from questionable sources, you might be surprised to learn. Ooh. Sources such as Charles Keating of the Savings and Loan Scandal. You remember that? Heard about that? Oh, in the that's 80s? right. That's the ease. Charles Keating, scumbag, uh, fraudster, donated one and a quarter million dollars to Mother Teresa. Uh, Keating was brought to trial in California in a case heard by Judge Lance Ito. Remember that dude? Oh, Ito of the uh, Clarence. No, the Judge. Uh, ah, O.J. Simpson. Yes, of the, uh, if the glove don't fit, you must acquit trial. Yeah. Uh, During the trial, Mother Teresa wrote to Ito pleading leniency for Keating. Uh, Whenever someone asks me to speak to a judge, I always tell them the same thing. I ask them to pray, to look into their heart, and to do what Jesus would do in their circumstance. And this is what I'm asking of you, Your Honor. So one of the uh, co-prosecutors in the case uh, didn't take kindly to the suggestion and... uh, responded with a letter of his own. He sent this to Mother Teresa. Ah. I'm going to read this whole thing. It is amazing. Dear Mother Teresa, I am a deputy district attorney in Los Angeles County and one of the persons who worked on the prosecution of your benefactor, Charles H. Keating Jr. I read your letter to Judge Ito, written on behalf of Mr. Keating, which includes your admission that you know nothing about Mr. Keating's business or the criminal charges presented to Judge Ito. 
I'm writing to you to provide a brief explanation of the crimes of which Mr. Keating has been convicted to give you an understanding of the source of the money that Mr. Keating gave to you and to suggest that you perform the moral and ethical act of returning the money to its rightful owners. <laughs> Mr. Keating was convicted of defrauding 17 individuals of more than $900,000. These 17 persons were representative of 17,000 individuals from whom Mr. Keating stole $252 million. Mr. Keating's specific acts of fraud were that he was the source of a series of fraudulent representations made to persons who bought bonds from his company. And he also was the uh, repository of crucial information, which he chose to withhold from bond purchasers, thereby luring his victims into believing they were making a safe, low-risk investment. In truth and in fact, their money was being used to fund Mr. Keating's exorbitant and extravagant lifestyle. So this fucker uh, tells everyone that they're making a, a real safe investment, right? And yeah. he just takes the money and buys private jets and just fucking douchebag right it's like uh madoff yeah exactly yeah the victims of mr keating's fraud come from a wide spectrum of society some were wealthy and well-educated most were people of modest means and unfamiliar with high finance one was indeed a poor carpenter who did not speak english and had his life savings stolen by mr keating's fraud the biblical slogan of your organization is as long as you did it to one of these my least brethren you did it to me the least of the brethren are among those whom Mr. Keating fleeced without flinching. <laughs> As you well nice. know, divine forgiveness is available to all, but forgiveness must be preceded by an admission of sin. Not only has Mr. Keating failed to admit his sins and his crimes, he persists in self-righteously blaming others for his own misdeeds. Your experience is admirably with the poor. I'm not sure I would add the admirably there. Yeah, her, I guess it's being uh, her experience politically correct. Certainly is with the poor, but not admirably so. <laughs> My experience has been with the con man and the perpetrator of the fraud. It is not uncommon for con men to be generous with family, friends, and charities. Perhaps they believe that their generosity will purchase love, respect, or forgiveness. However, the time when the purchase of indulgences was an acceptable method of seeking forgiveness died with the Reformation. No church, no charity, no organization should allow itself to be used as a salve for the conscience of the criminal. We are all grateful that forgiveness is available, but we all also must perform our duty. That includes the judge and the jury. I remind myself of the biblical admonition of the prophet Micah. Oh man, what is good and what does the Lord require of you? To do justice, love mercy, and walk humbly. We are urged to love mercy, but we must do justice. You urge Judge Ito to look into his heart as he sentences Charles Keating and do what Jesus would do. I submit the same challenge to you. Ask yourself what Jesus would do if he were given the fruits of a crime. What Jesus would do if he were in possession of money that had been stolen what Jesus would do if he were being exploited by a thief to ease his conscience. I submit that Jesus would promptly and unhesitatingly return the stolen property to its rightful owners. You should do the same. You have been given money by Mr. Keating that he has been convicted of stealing by fraud. Do not permit him the indulgence he desires. Do not keep the money. Return it to those who worked for it and earned it. If you contact me, I will put you in direct contact with the rightful owners of the property now in your possession. Sincerely, Paul W. Turley. That's fantastic. Isn't that I got amazing? the TLDR right here, Chuck, if you want me oh, to read it. Yeah, go for it. This guy's a piece of shit. Return the money and go fuck yourself. <laughs> <laughs> so uh, if you were listening, you could have fast forward that entire thing and right. got, got to Matt's summary. Right there. Uh, admirably with the poor. Jesus Christ. Okay. Good letter, except for that one part. <laughs> Would it surprise you to learn that Mother Teresa never returned the money? 
Uh, that would surprise me. I, she's a saint, Chuck, don't you know? <laughs> yeah. $1.25 million in fraudulently gained money out of one single bank account of hers that has $50 million. She, she couldn't even do that. Oh, they spent it on an elevator, probably. <laughs> right. Another now, set of stairs. Now, all of this shit, all of this shit might be somewhat understandable if Mother Teresa fully, sincerely believed, right? I'd see her more as a victim of the religion rather than, uh, you know, and it's right. sad that she perpetrates this shit on, on unsuspecting people. You know, she was also caught, you know, trying to baptize people surreptitiously. She would ask them, you know, to tell her little nuns to go over there. And as you're uh, wiping the guy's forehead with a damp cloth, ask him if he wants a ticket to heaven. And if they say yes, then you speak the words of baptism and bam, they're baptized, right? It's fairly offensive to the Hindus and, and Muslims, <laughs> typically, yeah. presented in her clinics, but... You know, there's one thing to say she is a victim of this and she perpetrated it because she fully wholeheartedly believed in it. But her uh, personal letters have come out and she wanted them burned upon her death. But because she was, you know, clearly on the saint track, they refused and they actually published the letters. And it, it paints a different picture. She wrote a letter to uh, Reverend Michael Vanderpeet in 1979. Remember, this is the same year she won the Nobel Peace Prize. Right. She said, Jesus has a very special love for you. As for me, the silence and the emptiness is so great that I look and do not see, listen and do not hear. I am told God loves me, and yet the reality of darkness and coldness and emptiness is so great that nothing touches my soul. 20 years before this, March 1953, she wrote, Please pray specially for me that I may not spoil his work and that our Lord may show himself, for there is such terrible darkness within me as if everything was dead. It has been like this, more or less, from the time I started the work. Remember, she started in 1928. Everything in me is dead? So she, she's complaining she hasn't heard the voice of Je or felt his presence for 25 years. And then again, 26 years later, same thing. Ugh. I'm dead inside. I, I know how that feels. So, yeah, she, she's, she's feeling the experience that I always felt. When you pray to God, nothing comes back there is no answer and you end up kind of feeling stupid right you just sit there right and nothing happens but to take those doubts and those feelings and then to continue essentially committing fraud to these other people because if someone donates for example you, you you're rich and you feel like oh my god here's this uh person who's helping out the poor and he donates 10 million dollars and none of that goes to the fucking clinic it goes i guess right to the catholic church which has billions and billions and billions of dollars. Fuck you. That's fraud. Yeah, and where is the money? Where did the money go? Is that where it went? Here's the problem, the Matt. We don't know because we it's a religion know. and we cannot uh, we cannot track any of those funds. They're completely invisible to us. Surely it's set up as some sort of like payout account that is purchasing medical supplies for Surely, in exchange for tax what? breaks and, uh, you know, donations to these buildings and all of this shit, that we should be able to look into these records and see where this money is going. You know, in exchange for keeping our hands off entirely for the blatant malpractice that's going on, surely we can at least look into the numbers of the clinic. We will never fucking know. We'll never know what happened to the tens of millions 
possibly hundreds of millions of dollars that went to Mother Teresa's clinics. But we do know this. They sure as hell didn't go to the people who were suffering inside right. of Mother Teresa's clinics. God damn, it's like every charity. Maybe not every charity. And this is why, again, religions should get out of fucking charity work. That's their primary purpose, right? right? This is the only good thing about religion that I can think about is they provide help to the poor. But this kind of help is 100% bullshit. And what Here, happened to the uh, Nobel Prize money? Isn't like is that a million? I think it is, yeah. Something like that. Yeah. Where's that money? That probably went straight to the Catholic Church. Uh-huh. Straight to the Pope. It's probably in the hands of uh, pedophile victims right now. I yeah, guess. I was just gonna say. Well, they have a lot of lawsuits, so they <laughs> got a lot of legal expenses to cover. That's a kind of charity, I suppose. Absolutely amazing. Absolutely amazing. So, uh, yeah, far from a saint, I think uh, she she's a truly a horrible human being. Yeah, uh, just another weird scam artist that also, almost sociopathic in a way. I mean, how could you be around that kind of suffering, have the means to do something about it and do nothing? And not only do nothing, but but make that the goal. It is a strange metaphor for the God that they believe in. Oh, it's weird. You're probably saying to yourself right now, Chuck, hey, how can I become a Catholic sister or nun? I was. Well, here's the answer. Uh, you must be Catholic. And Damn it. must be a Catholic well, woman. <laughs> I'm out <laughs> on both scores. You must be single. Nope. Yep. Strike uh, three. You can be a widow, so you can't be divorced, but you can, if you had an annulment, that can, that's okay. That's all right? Okay. You must not have any dependent children. All right. That's, so, I'm out on that one, too. Yeah. Uh, you must not have any debts. <laughs> Out. Nope. <laughs> Out. You must be healthy. I don't have people uh, donating buildings to me. <laughs> um, you must be 18 to 40-ish. They're, they're, <laughs> I, they're sticking with the 18, but um, it's sometimes they'll accept you on a person-to-person basis. Person-by-person basis? If you're over 40, Jesus doesn't want... Jesus does not want any old women. No, no. Um, there's a few other considerations. A college degree is not required. And it's strongly discouraged. <laughs> no, they encourage it. Oh, okay. Uh, for some reason. Uh, professional experience is also encouraged. As a nun? Uh, I don't know. It's something. Like, I'm sure they wouldn't mind having a couple of lawyers or yeah. accountants, nuns, you know? Yeah, they need them. So there, there you go. You two can be see, the next. What about Mother Teresa? What if you're gay or transgender? I didn't hear anything about that. Oh well, they, don't ask. Them. That's okay. Don't. <laughs> Jesus takes all kinds. He loves everybody. That's that's assumed into the premise of becoming a nun. It's like, <laughs> yeah. It's like wait. It's like if you get there and finally you're like, I got on all, and uh, so yeah, I, I I don't. I'm gay, but you know. It's like, oh, no, see, oh. wait, and we didn't even ask that because we thought you'd kind of know that already. That was implied with the Catholic question. Yes. <laughs> you must be Catholic. And not cafeteria uh, Catholic. I'm talking seriously Catholic here. You think they'd take a transgender? Transgender no. lady? If What if she was Catholic? Jesus Single doesn't like, he doesn't like people who reassign their gender identity. No. 
Oh, that was one of my skunk dicks it was going to be, but we possibly... Did you know the Pope The Pope said it's sad that children now are being taught they can choose their own That's gender. right. God doesn't like that shit. No. He gave them a gender identity in his chromosomes. Right. Except for some people. <laughs> How dare you misidentify your gender. <laughs> oh, Jesus. Pope. Mother Teresa... I'm starting to think I'm not really into this Catholics thing at all. I'm starting to think I wouldn't make a very good Catholic. <laughs> Matt, I didn't make a very good Mormon, I'll tell you the truth. I never even got my chance to make a very bad Mormon. Maybe I should, maybe I should start. I've never been to Mormon church. Well, they did a, a little... Is that what you call it? Is it church? Anti-Mormon <laughs> boot camp, right? Oh, yeah. That before was before left. we left California. Yeah. They vaccinated you against Mormonism. Yeah. Yeah, it's called church. Afraid. Mormon church. <laughs> I'm going to go to, maybe I'll go to the one on the corner, see what it's all about. It's probably like, they're probably really nice. They are really nice and they are really boring. Oh, that's the worst part, really. I would not Are there snacks? Spending, yeah, there's a piece of bread, like a torn off piece of bread. All right, I guess I got to go. Are we done? We done here? We're done. Next week, uh, or whatever it is. Next six months. I thought, I swear to God, we just record a podcast. Is it six months yet? No, this is weekly podcast, Chuck. All um, right. Everybody's been getting them. We'll just keep... <laughs> right? <laughs> we'll keep pretending we're a weekly podcast. <laughs> Next week, God's Not Dead too. Woo! It's like she was some sort of Klingon, Chuck. (laughs) (laughs) Sorry, I just... (laughs) You can edit that joke out.